Good morning, happy Sunday everyone. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. This is week three in our series on the parables, a journey through Jesus teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Today's parable has lots of plot points and connecting scriptures, so you might want to grab a notebook for this one to keep track of a few key ideas as we go. So without any further ado, here is the parable of the tenants. Our Bible reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, and it's Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. That's Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. This is Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, he replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The parables were more than just a way to give simple moral instruction. For Jesus, they were a way of provoking a more imaginative and countercultural understanding of the kingdom of God. As N.T. Wright puts it, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. As we learn from Matthew 13, when Jesus gave a parable about the parables, He made it clear that not everyone was going to understand them. His message was somewhat scandalous to the religious and legal authorities, and using parables allowed Jesus to keep the message of the kingdom hidden from them. When we read the parables, there are several layers of context we need to look for to read them well. 
Parables are often extracted from their place within the Gospels and used as standalone stories. But when we do this, we're in danger of reducing them down to moral lessons that we then fit into our own context. When we read the parables, we need to look at the pieces of the puzzle round about them to make sure we don't miss out on what Jesus was telling his listeners about what was happening there in that moment and what it tells us about the kingdom of God. So as we read the parables, here are a couple of things that we want to look for. Number one, the immediate context of Jesus, the parable placement within his ministry, and the preceding interaction with his listeners. There's a couple of common events around the parables. Usually, Jesus is teaching on a specific theme or idea and gives a couple of different parables to teach from different perspectives. Sometimes, somebody has posed a question to Jesus either for genuine understanding or to challenge his authority. Each parable also falls within the timeline of Jesus' ministry, and the parables seem to increase in their intensity and complexity the closer he gets to the cross. The second thing we need to look for is the wider context of the parable within the meta-narrative of the whole Bible. Jesus used different images, metaphors, and threads through the parables, and those usually came from two specific places. Firstly, he used images and metaphors from the everyday life of his listener, things like farming and seeds and fishing, things that they would understand from immediate context. However, he often also uses threads that link back to the Old Testament imagery, particularly from the words of the prophets, helping people to connect what was happening here and now in his ministry to the bigger picture of the whole of eternity. It's important to look for these threads because they can help us to decipher beyond the immediate moral lesson and see through the kingdom lens of God's greater purpose. Only once we've done this can we responsibly extract and apply it to our own context today. Today's parable is a prime example of this, so let's have a look. What's our immediate context in the life of Jesus and his listeners for this parable? When Jesus tells this parable, he is in the throes of Holy Week. He had just driven the merchants out of the temple, where they were using and exploiting it for their own gain. He cursed the unfruitful fig tree. And then when he gives this parable in the temple, he's being challenged by the chief priests and the elders, asking who sent him or given him the authority to do all these things. In response, he first tells the parable of the two sons, which he ends by saying, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. So what are the themes preceding Jesus' teaching in this parable? He's addressing the abuse of power and position within the temple. He's addressing the unfruitfulness of the fig tree. He talks about outsiders being given a place in the kingdom over the priests. And he talks about the failure to recognize his authority and the authority of John who came before him.
Keep each of these themes in mind as we take a deep dive right back to the beginning of Scripture. These themes run all the way through Scripture, right from Genesis 1. There's a pattern throughout Scripture from the very beginning where God creates and then he commissions. He makes something good and special and wonderful, and then he commissions humans to have authority within it to produce something good from it. The first time we see this is in the Garden of Eden. Listen to this passage from Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Be fruitful. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and have authority. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. At the very beginning of scripture, God creates the earth and within it, he carves out a garden. He hands it over to the humans to steward it, to cultivate it and to be fruitful with it. He creates and then he commissions. The garden could be considered the first temple, the first dwelling place of God, that humans have tenancy, responsibility and authority. They're given authority to rule, but they are warned by God about the consequences of abusing their authority. However, as we know, that didn't work out too well. They rebelled against God. They abused the authority given to them in that place. The fruit of their lives, their children, the life they cultivated, their management of the earth that God had given them turned sour so quickly. And instead of good fruit, they produced rotten, sinful fruit. They were banished from the garden and sent into the untamed wilderness of the earth. Here we see the warnings and the consequences for those tenants who abused their authority in the garden. After being kicked out of the garden, as people wandered the desolate earth, God planted something new. He took Abraham's family line and out of it he planted the people of Israel. He set them apart, creating a distinct nation and commissioning them to bear good fruit, to draw others to them and ultimately to God. We see this in the passage of Isaiah 5. Like the vineyard in the parable, we see God talking about a vineyard in the Old Testament. Listen to this passage from Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, the song of the vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. 
Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. There he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Just like the first humans in the garden in Genesis, instead of good fruit like justice and righteousness, Israel produced rotting fruit like bloodshed and distress. Time and again, they were unfaithful to God, disobeying his word, creating idols, corrupting good and trading it for evil. Here in Isaiah 5, the prophet Isaiah is telling Israel that God is done with this corrupt and rotten vineyard. Just like they did in Genesis, they've ignored the warnings from the prophets, so he will remove the protection he set around them, allowing rival nations to destroy them, take them into exile, and lay the vineyard to waste. Now, by the time we see Jesus here in Matthew 21, a lot has happened. Israel's finally come out of exile. They're trying to reclaim their identity as this set-apart nation and wondering if they will once again become God's special vineyard. The religious leaders and the elders in the temple certainly seem to think so. As Jesus begins telling his parable, this parable of the vineyard, the words would have sounded familiar to the chief priests and to the elders who knew the scriptures. As he begins to talk about this vineyard, they would recall the words in Isaiah 5 and all the imagery that came with this prophetic warning. But then Jesus takes a slightly different narrative and reframes the story in a way that wouldn't have been familiar to them. Jesus says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. This first part of the parable would have been familiar because it mirrored two things. God's creation of the garden, which he handed to humans and commissioned them to cultivate. And God's creation of Israel as a nation, who he commissioned to be fruitful as a witness to other nations. Same theme and same pattern. God creates and then he commissions. So Jesus continues, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Then he sent the other servants to them more than the first time and the tenants treated them the same way. The servants are the intermediaries between the owner and the tenants, relaying important messages from one to the other. These servants represent the prophets, like Isaiah, who God sent to call Israel to account. This would have been a familiar part of the story too. Up to this point, the story would have been tracking with Israel's history and with this passage from Isaiah 5. But then Jesus adds a plot twist that they didn't see coming. 
unless they've been really clued in to who Jesus was. So Jesus says, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus said this shortly before he went to the cross. Nobody knew that was going to happen but him. Nobody knew that this is what was coming. But as Jesus tells this story, he's laying the path for them to understand what will happen at the end of Holy Week. This is the part they weren't expecting. Israel's privileged role in taking care of God's kingdom was about to be taken away from them again. They're waiting to be restored as the rightful tenants, but Jesus says that's not going to happen. Instead, after the death of the son, the vineyard will be entrusted to whoever will bear good fruit. And those new tenants can come from anywhere. As Jesus said in his previous verses, the tax collectors and the prostitutes would now get into the kingdom of God ahead of the chief priests and the elders because of their belief and because of their repentance and because of their good fruit. The new tenants will be the people that others least expect. The vineyard is now open to all who obey the call and commission of the vineyard owner. Not only this, but the good and faithful new tenants will receive a share of the vineyard at harvest time. Harvest is usually given as an image or a metaphor for Jesus' final return and judgment over the earth, meaning that those who produce good fruit in God's kingdom now will share in eternal life when the time comes. So what do we take from all of this? How do we decipher some of the things that Jesus taught us, not only about the kingdom of God, but about our place in it? Here's the first thing that I've spotted. There's a key distinction between ownership and stewardship. In each case where God creates and then commissions, humans are given stewardship over the land, but not ownership. As tenants, we are given blessing, provision, freedom, authority, and responsibility for what is ultimately God's and not our own. It's important to note that in each parable, both Old Testament and New Testament, that God remains the sole owner of the vineyard. The earth and everything in it is his. We are tenants and we are stewards. We're called to commission and to take care of what God has handed to us, but it's never our own. As we see from Genesis 3 and the subsequent fall of humanity, from the failures of Israel, and what we'll see when Jesus returns, is that believing we are the owners of his vineyard and taking or withholding what's not rightfully ours is always where our problems begin. There's also a theme of authority and accountability. In each chapter of the story, we see that God leaves us to be responsible for what he's given us, but he always comes back to hold us to account for what we've done with it. In Genesis 3, he came looking for Adam and Eve, asking, though already knowing, where are you? For Israel, he sent the prophets, a continual warning that they were accountable to God for everything he'd given them. And ultimately, when they failed, it was all taken away. 
Likewise, in the kingdom of God, in this current vineyard, the owner will come back for the harvest. Jesus will come back and will hold us to account for what we have done with all that he has given us, for the fruit that we have produced. He's given us everything we need to be ready for that day. It's up to us to be ready. Finally, the best part of this parable, the plot twist that nobody was expecting in the run up to Easter. Instead of shutting down the vineyard and keeping it for himself, instead of sending lawyers to sue the unfaithful tenants, the owner sends his son to meet them. And this actually opens up the vineyard to more people. You see, this is the scandalous grace of Jesus. That despite the majority of the world failing to recognize the father who sent him, ignoring his message, crucifying him in his own home, Jesus' death and resurrection opened up the way for more people to live in the vineyard and to live this great and abundant life that God has created and commissioned for us.